0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. ...an MOU for First Nations Education in Alberta on behalf of Treaty 7. This mandate is aimed at improving educational services and increasing the number of student graduates in First Nations communities. She'll be speaking about the First Nations Education Act... Um, the title is The first. Is the Federal Government's Proposed First Nations Education Act, Underfunded and Keep Paternalistic. Uh, I'd like to welcome Sheena You're way taller than I am. <laughs> Good afternoon. I am uh, Sheena Jackson. I'm from the Nation. <clears throat> and I'm actually an alumni of the University of Leicester. Um, I received my education degree at the university in 1995, and so education has always been a passion, a passion for me and for our children. And my oldest son is an alumni of the University of Alaska and so through that, I guess I've demonstrated that um, education is important, is an important aspect of all our lives. It's what builds character in our people and builds resilience for our people to move forward. And I really want to thank the the, um, Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs for inviting me today to talk about a very sensitive uh, topic for our First Nations people on the proposed um, bill for First Nations education. I guess if you want to... um, Look at it. Um, there's two ways of of um, looking at the development of this act. There's two there's two distinct perspectives, but there's a fundamental perspective that um, that both First Nations and and people across the country, governments and systems, the fundamental issue is to improve graduation and academic success for First Nations students. So, underlying everything, everyone wants our children to succeed. And so, but how do we get there? How do we get to a common, to a common place when we have two very strong points of view that are both coming? coming at each other to resolve this issue. And on one hand, we have Indian control of Indian education, and on the other hand, we have the the, um, minister's view to develop a First Nation education. But in order to understand both processes, you first have to go back and understand where First Nations people are coming from, First Nations people have their own worldview on how to educate our to educate our children, <clears throat> and we come from a holistic perspective. We come from we come from a, a perspective where we allow children to grow, we allow people to grow, and to become who they are. Through by meeting these five these five needs, which are psychological needs, the security and safety of the person, social needs, relational needs, and esteem needs. <clears throat> and I'm going to quote um, a quote from Dr. Leroy Littlebear when he wrote our position paper um, regarding the First Nations Education Act, and he says that. The needs of lack of teaching hold, hold that a person to behold, to behold the following needs must be satisfied, which are physiological needs, security and safety of the person, social needs, relational needs, and esteem needs. If these needs are met, then a person becomes self-actualized. One readily sees from the above that traditional Indian education is mainly aimed at character development from a holistic point of view. It is not aimed at competition, rivalry, and survival as a fittest. If Western education was about the development of good citizens, then the traditional Indian education and Western education would be complementary. But, but as of now, they are not. <clears throat> so right off the bat, you can see In our mainstream education system, it's about competition. It's about um, a grading system where we streamline children, you know, right from kindergarten, we start deciding, you know, who are your top achievers? We grade them, we put pressure on them. But in our holistic system, when we see that people their needs, these needs are all satisfied, they go through a transfer of a transfer of rights and a and the rights of passage to move on to the next level. When they're fully ready to take on more responsibility, you want to make sure that the whole being is prepared in order to move forward. So in our in our mainstream system, many of our children may not be effective readers may not be effective mathematicians, you know, don't fully understand science, but because of economics, because we want to move children quickly through this grade one kindergarten to grade 12 system, we bu- we bump them up to the next level and they're not fully prepared. They haven't really understood what the whole concepts are, so we, we move them forward without prep without full preparation. In First Nations people, we need to ensure that if we don't take on more responsibility in life, we need to be fully prepared in order to move forward. On the other hand, to the proposed bill, I do agree it is very preparedistic and it is it really focuses a lot on governance, accountability. Um, being accountable not so much for the outcomes of students, but how we spend our money and where we're spending our money. So there's a high focus on, on accountability for funding, and we have no problem with being accountable. By no means are First Nations people trying to avoid accountability. However, when it's prescribed to you and we have no input on that prescription, it makes it difficult for us to satisfy the needs of the government because they're always coming back at us saying, Well, you didn't do this right, well, you didn't do that right. You're you're not um, you're not explaining these concepts right. So you know, it creates barriers. And it it creates a political platform for people to have our education system overshadowed in politics instead of truly focusing on the learning of our children. It takes that away. And it also takes away First Nations' um, ability to actually... Promote holistic learning, and it, it steps in the way of us achieving what we what we need for our our children through our traditional ways of knowing. So I think that you know there's a um, right away, right off the bat, through these two very strong perspectives, we need to real we need to find a mechanism. We need to find a mechanism where First Nations and the governments are going to find a happy medium. And one can't do it alone without the other. We need collaboration. We need to be informed about how we're going to move forward together. And right now, as as it stands for First Nations people, we don't have any input on on um, what our children learn and how they learn and it's and, with, and on the um, on the poster you talk about um, the purchase of services for our education, which is true. and I'm going to also quote again from Dr. Little Bear. I'm going to describe what we mean by um, purchase of services. The education provided by the crown is a purchase of services model. Education services are purchased from education providers, such as the provinces. The purchase of services approach results in the lack of representation on on boards of education, lack of input into the curricula, and pedagogical practices. So in other words, if you want to bring it down to a simplistic level, it's like being a... Being, um, Another example that Dr. Goldberg uses is is Walmart. <clears throat> if we're if, as consumers of Walmart, we do not have a say as to what they put on the shelves and what we're going to buy. Walmart decides that. So we come into the store and we buy what they have to offer. And it's almost the same thing with education. The province develops the curriculum. They decide how it's going to be taught, what is going to be taught, when it is going to be taught, and we have no say. We we purchase the information, and we have no input how that um, curriculum is being developed. So, which is why when we talk about the twenty-eight year gap, it's not just in funding; it's also in curriculum. Um... In the pedagogical, you know, in the pedagogical area for teaching practices of how children are taught, our strategies to teach our children. So it's beyond when we talk about it, about a funding gap. It's yes, the funding gap is there, but the gap is not just there in funding. There's other gaps that also exist. Another huge gap that exists is in with our children in care. Children in care that really don't have any say once they're put into foster parenting and they're off reserved. Those children lose their identity very quickly because they're detached from their people. So which brings me, you know, to the to the next point is that <clears throat> we need to find the mechanism to bring the two areas you know the two government, the government and the First Nations, back together, so that we can collaborate effectively on, you know, on um, how do we close those gaps? Because those gaps are not just about funding, and <clears throat> and the funding gap that that exists is a twenty-eight year gap. It's a huge gap. And that gap is growing. And that gap was identified in 2004 by Sheila Fraser. It's almost been 12 years. So it's widening and widening. So we're getting further and further behind. So everything that... So which is why it's really important right now that we address this issue effectively. And this is why First Nations are rejecting the Education Act. Because it's not allowing us to... To actually address the real issues that it's being prescribed to us in saying this is the answer. It's maybe the act is part of an answer, but it's not the full answer because First Nations need to be involved in that development of the, in the development of that act. And if you want to look at how, when we look at talking about it being paternalistic, if you look at the chronology of how we um, how we got to the draft of the act, the in December 2011 they they presented the blueprint for legislation, and it was a framework of how they were going to start drafting this legislation. And then very quickly we got the draft bill on the First Nations Education Act. So. Throughout each one of these steps, First Nations didn't have any proper ability to properly consult with the minister on each of these steps. And right off the very beginning, our First Nations people have rejected have rejected this process because this pro- process was very was very. Um, paternalistic. It's somebody telling us we're going to do this and whether you like it or not this is how it's going to be done. And our chiefs made it very clear when we had our Treaty 7 chiefs along with the Treaty 6 and Treaty 8 chiefs made it very clear that <clears throat> that did um, that announce that, that Mm -hmm. Notification does not constitute consultation. And so when all you're being is notified that this is what is going to happen, that's not consultation. Yes, we have numerous studies across Canada on why First Nations are not learning at the same rate of other students across Canada. Yes, we and that's not consultation, that's research. That's not actually allowing First Nations to input to say, this is how we can address this issue effectively and resolve it. So when we talk about consultation and accommodation, that's the key. Through effective consultation and accommodation with both sides involved, that's the key to resolving this issue. It's not, about, it's not about someone standing there and saying, this is the answer. It's about consultation. And, and, you know, I guess there's a lot of frustration across Canada. A lot of frustration across Canada by our people because we've, all of this research that's being done even though all this research exists, exists and the government has all this research, it makes us wonder how much of that research they're actually reading. Because some of that research is very good information, very, very ec- excellent information that can provide a proper framework for our people to, to develop a First Nations education system. And a one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work. You all know when you go out to a store and you see a one-size-fits-all jacket, some of you is going to be big, some of it's going to be small, some might fit. And that's what's happening with this Education Act: is they they they're not looking at the diversity of the provinces that. They're not looking at the diversity of the 632 First Nations across Canada. They're putting us all into one category. And they're saying, this is, the, this is the solution. This is how you're going to resolve your education issues. And it's not fair to our people. Because there is a lot of difference when it comes to our, you know, to our traditional knowledge. So like I said we rejected the whole process from from the beginning uh, with starting with consultation it's a very unilateral approach and most of all this First Nations Education Act it only addresses First Nations schools on reserve what about our children that are in the public and provincial school systems there's no there's no reciprocal accountability back to our first nations you know communities on children that are in provincial school systems and we need that accountability we need them to be accountable to us because even though the federal government pays for our education in provincial systems doesn't mean that there's it cuts the responsibility to our First Nations community not to be accountable for the low graduation rates that exist in provincial systems as well. And they need to be accountable as well. So, you know, that in itself is another reason why we need effective consultation and accommodation in this process so that we can address all the issues. It's not just about First Nations on reserve. It's it's about, because our children don't just attend schools on reserve, they also attend provincial schools. And there is no guarantee in this Education Act that we will have fair and stable funding. And the reason why I say that is because in the Education Act, the Minister only talks about funding, saying that it will be addressed in the regulations. And right now they passed a bill bill S12 which says that <clears throat> which gives the uh, government the ability to develop regulations at any given time they don't have to notify they don't have to notify first nations that they're going to amend the regulations so if they see if they're not sad if the federal government is not satisfied with the graduation uh, results that they're not high enough all they're gonna do they'll turn it over to regulations and can cut our funding just like that at any given time. We don't have to be notified. And most of all our like our leaders have said that especially and Chief Charles I'll quote Chief Charles we do not want the treaty right to, to education to be legislated away, and which is why, when the which is why we want to emphasize that the federal government's only real responsibility is to provide funding. They are not experts in education, and the chiefs have have um, emphasized that over and over again. You're not experts in education. You, the experts in education lie within our communities and lie within the provinces that have education, that have education systems. So really, their only real responsibility is to fund First Nations for their education. And the other thing that First Nations, you know, were very disappointed with was the lack of strategies for language and culture. You know, we, um, as First Nations people, we're grounded by our culture. We've never, this is, this is our homeland. We've never ever separated ourselves from our homeland because language <coughs> is the shortcut to our traditional knowledge. And going back to the beginning of the presentation, if you look at our holistic, <clears throat> our holistic model, <clears throat> you know, we need to be grounded in, in, our, in our First Nations language and culture in order for our people to be successful. So all that curriculum that's out there right now that doesn't acknowledge First Nations contributions to history needs to be changed so so and as a and that's a key for our success for our children <clears throat> so across canada the um, assembly of first nations has written an open letter <clears throat> an open letter to all canadians and he our chief Sean Atleo has emphasized that we cannot move forward on this issue until First Nations control and respecting first in respecting the inherent and treaty rights of our people is a part of this process. That we address funding effectively, and that our languages and culture are 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 ingrained in the core component of this Education Act. That it's only mentioned maybe in one line that they'll give it back to the communities to decide how we're going to address language and culture. That's not good enough. We need to find good, strong strategies that are going to as- assist our people to revitalize our education system. And and further, and there's also been an oversight, an oversight in achieving <coughs> elements described here that must not be and cannot be unilateral federal oversight and authority vested in the Canadian bureaucracy. First Nations children fully, deserve fully an authority vested in Canadian, vested in, oh sorry, First Nations children deserve fully accountable and successful systems that achieve clear outcomes. The oversight required and remedies to achieve these must be jointly determined and fully respect First Nations rights, rights and responsibilities. And we need an ongoing process for in meaningful engagement. To address these conditions, we must ensure meaningful engagement, including throughout commitment to co-development and shared oversight, including evaluation. So in, in, in closing, In saying that we reject this process, we're not saying we're closing the doors to um, address this issue. Because if we close the doors to addressing this issue, then we're failing our children. And our chiefs want to develop a process that is collaborative, where we're doing this process together. It's not a process that... Where we're saying where it's being prescribed to us, as Minister Valcour says in his in his introduction on his uh, bill is that this act that this act has a pr- um, the proposed first Nations act will respect any first nations will respect existing and treaty rights of First Nations and will provide a structure for for the exercise of First Nations control of First Nations education. And if he understood First Nations control of First Nations education effectively, then we would be following a holistic model in engaging a mainstream process in that model so that we can achieve the goal that we want to improve graduation results and success of our First Nations learners. Thank you.